0: So you hear these stories, right, about um, people who find stuff in attics, barn finds, they call them, things like that. Um, there are a couple of them that have, ha- have happened that are, are especially noteworthy. In 2013, a previously unknown landscape pe- painting by Vincent van Gogh was discovered in an attic of a guy who's a Norwegian. It, it was there for years because he thought it was a fake he finds it, it's authenticated, and it's worth in the tens of millions of dollars he finds it in his attic. In 2000, the family of a, a woman who named Donna O'Hara, who had recently passed away, uh, went through her storage shed in La Habra, California, and they found this. 1964 Ford GT40 Shelby Daytona Coupe, one of only six ever made. They knew where the other five were. This one became discovered. It's called the greatest barn find in the history of card collecting. It's valued over $4 million. In a a basement, 18th century Chinese antique was found during a routine clearing out of of the basement after uh, it was on the outskirts of London. They found this vase. It went to auction And for whatever, there's all these details about why it's so important. It sold at auction, forget this, $76,600,000. I decided to look in my basement and attic. (laughs) We've searched through there. And you know what my wife found in there? She found in a box of old stuff. What she found was from my college days, an old used buff puff. From my shower. <laughs> With decades worth of dead cells on it, you know? That's what we find. Just thinking about putting on eBay. You know, you know I, and that's how it works, right? But isn't it true that those things intrigue us? Because you just wish, wouldn't it be, I mean, wouldn't that be the coolest thing ever? To make that kind of discovery, I mean, this, don't you dream? That's why we watch Antique Roadshow, you know, and, and stuff like that. That's that's why we have these dreams of it, of some far off relative dying, and we're their only, you know, and they have this inheritance, and we're going to get it. I mean, it. But you know, what, what winds up happening is we get all excited. Has you ever happened to this? You you put on a pair of pants, and you feel something in the pocket, and it's an old, it's been through the wash, but there's like a twenty dollar bill, and you just like. Yes, I got a $20 bill, and it's your $20. That's as close as most of us get. But, but, that, but that little, that kind of intrigue, that drive, you know, to, to, to find some discovery like that, I mean, it's, we all kind of carry it around. We all have that wish. And so Jesus uses that kind of universal feeling in, in one of his stories, a couple of his stories. And you just heard one summarized. And these are found in Matthew 13. So if you have a Bible or access to one, I invite you to take a look. Matthew 13. It's a very, very simple story. It's two of them really cu- coupled together. And, and just as a reminder, you know, what, this is an amazing little thing that Jesus Christ did. All right, I, he is God in the flesh. He comes to earth to reveal the deepest truths of of the mysteries of mankind, how you can know who God is, how it can be restored to him. And and he knows that those are like profound things to describe. And so what does he do to communicate it? He basically goes, okay, okay, let me tell you a story. And like you heard, it's a story that most people could just relate to because it was like their everyday lives. And when he did it, he did it to explain some truth about one of a handful of things. He's going to explain a truth about God himself, He's going to explain the truth about life on earth, the way it's supposed to run, or he's going to explain the truth about you, who you are, what you were intended for, in a very, very simple way. And he does it to, though, he says over and over again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is, is like something. And then he also says another phrase, to him who has ears to hear, let him hear. So basically what he's saying, I'm going to explain it to you, and it'll make sense. But get this, if you really want to know. If you really want to understand, this will make sense to you. It's kind of like we used to watch you know, Looney Tunes cartoons and like Bugs Bunny and stuff on television. I used to laugh at it as a kid. And then I grew up and saw him again, and I went, oh, there's like political satire Oh, there's all kinds of adult humor in that. There's sexual innuendo in some of them. I never knew. But it's like if, if you got one set of ears on, you pick up one set of things, and then later on, you pick up another set. So Jesus said, that's how I'm going to tell these stories. And if you're in tuned, and this is going to come down, by the way, to your heart and mind, you can hear a story and go, oh, okay. But if you're in tuned in your heart, if there's something true in your heart, which I'm hoping is true here in the room, that if you came in today, you say, you know, there's something in me that's ready to hear. I, I, I kind of open. I guess I'm ready to want to know the truth. And God says, okay, now listen to the story. And you're going to learn something that's going to affect your heart and your life. And so he says, the kingdom of heaven is like certain things. Now, we've been saying this all along, but you please, you need to understand this. When Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven's like this, he's not talking about the place. He's not talking about the afterlife there because when he came to earth, the whole message was repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The rightful king, the one who created us, made the world the way it's supposed to be, the one who wants to be restored to people, says he is the king. And he says that I'm presenting myself to show you what life was supposed to be like, what life on earth is supposed to be like. He's talking about the here and now, living where we live, how we live, the kingdom of heaven. If the rightful king is placed back in his rightful place in a person's life on earth. Let me tell you what that's like, Jesus said. And so he repeats that phrase again in this, in, in this section, Matthew uh, chapter 13. And if you look at verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went sold all he had and bought that field. You just heard that kind of represent now, in quick succession, he, he's going to tell two stories. He, and one's very much like it. The next verse says, And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went and sold everything he had, and he bought it. So he says, he uses these two kind of word pictures, two parallel objects, a field treasure, treasure in a field, and a, a pearl of great value, he says. Now, as you heard kind of described in the, in the reader's theater there, the field treasure, There was, there's, there's something that's true about land rights that's still true. If you find something on somebody's property, it's technically theirs. And the way the, the farming worked in Jesus' day is not unlike a lot of how it works now where there's sections of field that are rented out to people or your farm hands, people go out and work it. And the other thing is if you were deviant and you found something, like something that's buried that's of worth, you wouldn't be able in that day and age just to kind of pull it out and carry it off. They knew where you were working, you reported in, you had to walk off the field, you would be exposed if you tried to do it anyway. And so you can't just sneak it out. So the, what, in the story, there's a guy who goes through a legitimate process of looking for an acquisition that he feels like is worth it to him. Now the other the other one that gets used is is the whole essence of a pearl like a like a, a, of great value like one that exceeds all others. And I had no idea that pearls are so expensive cuz I don't wear them and I certainly don't buy them for my wife. I love her but you know. <laughs> but it's still true that the uh, pearls are considered pretty significant. In fact, here this is the largest natural pearl In existence, Uh, it was was found, it's a pearl of Lao Tzu. It's uh, it's discovered in the waters of the Philippines in 1930s. It's 24 centimeters in diameter. It weighs just over 14 pounds. It's like a regular little pearl there at the bottom, so you get a point of view. Now, this pearl was formed in a clam rather than an oyster, and there's chemicals, and it doesn't have the luster, and it certainly doesn't have the shape. It kind of looks like a doughboy to me, but, you know. But that pearl is valued at 35 million dollars even in the shape that it is. Something else I didn't know is that pearls can be man-made. And in 2010, at an actual pearl, man-made pearl, was unveiled in China. And it's called the Beauty of Ocean. It weighs six tons. It's five feet high. We were talking before, it reminds us of the thing that's in the, at the mall where it spins on the water. I'm thinking that's not a real pearl. It was composed of fluorite. It was grounded into shape over a course of three years. It has a tendency to glow in the dark. How cool is that? And it's, uh, it's, it's rated, that pearl is the most expensive pearl on the market. You can buy that for $139 million. Pearls can be very much uh, desired and, and, and very expensive. Now, both these things, the treasure found and the pearl that's discovered, they represent something. They represent that which is considered priceless or that which is considered ultimate. It's the ultimate possession. Now, we've seen that in some of these stories, Jesus, when he told them, he got asked, could you explain them? And he went ahead and explained their meaning. These are not in that category. Jesus never explained what he meant. He just gave the story and said, you'll get it if you're looking for the answer. So part of it's left for us to understand what he's referring to. There's a theory, one of the theories is that when, when these are told that, that the treasure that Jesus is talking about is actually the nation of Israel, and that when God, when he looked for a treasure worth getting, he would sacrifice everything he had in order to get it, and that would be the sacrifice of Jesus. I think that makes a lot of sense but I don't think it's accurate because it's not in the it doesn't it's not set up by the context it's not in keeping with other stories that Jesus told I I think that more likely what Jesus is talking about when he says the kingdom of heaven is come to earth and it's being offered to people and when he says the kingdom of heaven like as a possession when it's offered it has an effect so he says when the kingdom of heaven is like this treasure it makes it flows more naturally that what he's saying there is that the kingdom he's talking about or the tre- the treasure is the actual kingdom that for a person to attain the rightful possession of the true god in his life is the greatest treasure you could have if the kingdom of heaven comes and is embraced by a soul by a heart that is the treasure and the recipients of the treasure, the ones who get it, the ones who see it, are those who, who abandon everything else in their life because getting the kingdom and living in that kingdom is more important to them than any other rivals in their lives. So I believe that the one selling their possessions refers to you and me. Now that's in keeping with some things that scripture says because God calls what we carry around, a treasure. This is Second Corinthians 4. We did a series in Second Corinthians a while back. This is in that. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. So there's something that becomes true in a person. The kingdom of heaven is understood and embraced by somebody to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And he refers to it and says, we have this treasure. We're carrying around in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In Colossians 2, it says talks about Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And what, so what Jesus is going to do in this, in this story is he's going to evoke a universal quest, that same quest that gets you and I looking in our attics or our basements or wondering if we'll ever have an inheritance or playing the lottery now and then, that same quest that he's, he's, he's going to say, you know that feeling you got? You know that quest? Tap into that. There's an innate persistence in us. And there's something that we tend to be searching for. We we could call it the ultimate treasure. And it's that which would carry, or maybe emit maybe, the highest level or sense of joy that we could find. Contentment. The highest that I'm I'm living a human life on a planet for 70 or 80 or 90 years or however many it might might be, and while I'm here, I'm looking to find that which is going to give me the absolute sense of being secure, of being fulfilled, of having a purpose, of of having a sense of belonging. The search is that which gives... We're looking for that which would provide the absolute answers to those questions that nag us. Questions about why am I here? What's the purpose of my existence? What would make me feel complete as a human being? What's the po- highest possible level of aliveness I can have, of wholeness I can experience? That search is kind of embedded within us and it drives us. And there's something that happens we start searching. Most of our lives, most human lives are, sent, are spent somewhere, somehow, looking for something. We're kind of on that search. Guys who are in high school, this, this search starts, for most people, in earnest when they're in high school, sometimes in college. And we start digging in fields, different fields, looking for that which is going to give us the highest sense of exhilaration or aliveness or fulfillment. And so you, who are in high school, you got friends and some of you are starting that search. And what we do is we start digging in different fields. That search starts now and it just keeps going around. It just keeps going. And you get people in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 60s and 70s. And we keep digging in fields. We find we're making our way, but we just keep digging in certain fields. And, there, and those fields could be described as certain kinds of pursuits, and I, so the quest has us focusing or looking at our time. We'll, we'll pick a field, and one of those fields would be our possessions and assets. The belief that if I dig in that arena, in that field, maybe I could attain that which is going to kind of complete me or fulfill me. We try that for a while. It's accumulating possessions and assets. Perhaps we deal, dig in a field of experiences and sensations this is especially true for teenagers, people in their 20s. Like, I gotta feel something. Man, I, I feel much more alive when I'm using this or doing that, or on that thrill. And, that, and I want that which is gonna last and fulfill me and make it feel good for me. And we some of us go on from there, and sometimes it's we sometimes the field we dig in is relationships or romances. And we have these moments where we find somebody and we go, oh man. I feel something like I never felt before with that person. Perhaps Sometimes the relationship moves into having children and being a parent and feeling the sense of wholeness and hope that comes with being a parent. For some of us, we dig in the fields of positions, of authority or of importance and advancement. So it has to do with our careers and we, we just keep digging in the field saying, "I'm gonna find, maybe I can get to, finally get to the position in the company where I feel like, okay, now I'm good. Now I'm doing all right. Now I'm whole. For some of us, it's in the field of products and nutrients. We try new diets or we're gonna be healthy and we're gonna try to optimize how our body works and how our body feels. For others, there's philosophies of life or practices and we get into yoga and other things and try to higher levels of awareness. And for others, it's in some involvement or some cause that we feel like, man, I feel like my purpose in life was to advance this really important cause. And you know what? I'm just going to say it this way. There's not a person in the room right now who hasn't dug deep in one or more of those fields. We've, we see something or we, somebody else pulls something out and we go, ooh, if I had that, maybe if I dig there for a while, every single one of us experiences that. It's a universal quest. Can I just ask which one have you been digging in most recently? Cuz we all have. There's a reason why we why we search. And it's because despite the routine disappointment that comes when we try something and it doesn't quite satisfy, it doesn't quite last, it doesn't quite give us what we wanted or need or feel like we hoped for, we still have this nagging idea that there's something yet unfound. It's not unearthed yet, it's, it's rare, it's secret, but and it's superior to what we found so far and if, that if, we could, if it could only be found, then that thing would exceed the level I currently have. And that's what keeps us intrigued and trying new stuff new relationships, new jobs, new possessions, new gizmos, new feelings. It's what sells magazines and products and infomercials. It keeps appealing to something. Go, man, oh, you know, they're trying another way. What if, maybe if I did that, I would feel the way I really think I should feel. It's what keeps us dating even after broken relationships it keeps us job hunting even when we've had a string of disappointments and lousy bosses and not things not working out and promising things that didn't turn out at all like we thought it keeps us playing the lottery it keeps us looking in the attic but there's something that happens when on that search there th- what happens is that Everything we discover, every time we dig, every time we find something, it doesn't deliver on its promise. It's not real. It's, it doesn't wind up being as valuable as we thought. You might have heard about it at the Oscars uh, this year, Lupita Nyong'o, who won an Academy Award, she went to the Oscars in a pearl dress. Um, and that dress, after it was the, the ceremony was over, in a dressing room, it was stolen out of the dressing room the dress had 6000 pearls sewn onto one dress 6000 that had to have been heavy don't you think that would be heavy 6000 pearls and and everybody it was estimated it was in the hundreds of thousands to maybe 10 up to 10 million dollars and the thing was stolen and there was no they couldn't figure it out on surveillance cameras and i don't know how many days later it was a week or less probably there's a phone call that comes into TMZ and says you'll find the dress in a restroom back at the hotel where, where she had stayed. And sure enough, the authorities went and they found the dress in a bag inside inside this restroom. And the caller said to TMZ, we need to expose the fact that the dress is a fake. They took they took two of the pearls off of the dress, they took it onto the street to sell them to see what the they could get, and they were told these aren't pearls. These just look like pearls. This dress is worth very little. They were so mad they just threw the whole dress back. We don't want any, We don't want to sell the dress. It's not worth it. Everywhere you look for something you think is going to be the ticket, you wind up having disappointment. It winds up to not deliver. It seems like it's fake. We keep looking. But what we find, it underdelivers, And if we do uh, we could just raise hands around here today and say, tell us about the best job you've experienced. Tell us about the most money you've made. Tell us all those fields that you've dug in, the causes you've been in, and the diets you've been on, and the nutrients, and all the things. And to a person, we would know that something is true. We try them for a while, and they underdeliver. They keep us thinking, ah, there's got to be a better one out there. There's got to be something. It, but it, what we have diminishes. It inevitably fades and it disappoints us. But, and yet our search just keeps intensifying, or it can. We keep insisting on looking. We get obsessive. And sometimes it's just slow and numbing and passive. But, but the same reality hits us that we wish we could find it, but we just can't seem to find it. Okay, now so here's what God does. God speaks to that desire. In our lives, he goes. You have that craving in you; it drives you. The problem, he says, is is not in the quest. The quest is not a wrong quest, looking for that which can deliver. The problem is not in the quest. The problem is in the location, the object, the focus. See, God says this thing about. People on earth, and he says about his own own people in Jeremiah 2. He says, My people have committed two sins. Okay, first of all, they've forsaken me, and he describes himself as the spring of living water. So he references something that's going to satisfy, something that can actually deliver the spring of living water. And what they've done is they've dug cisterns, things to hold water. They're looking for another source. But they're cisterns that are broken cisterns. They can't hold water. This is what people keep doing. They keep digging. They keep building these things to try to satisfy their thirst. But they've abandoned. The the search is not bad. It's the location. It's the focus. It's why in Isaiah 55, God says to his prophet, so come, everybody who's thirsty, come to the waters. You have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why are you spending? Here's the question. Why why do you keep digging, is what he's saying. Why do you keep looking? When are you going to give up this search? Why are you spending money on what isn't bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, he says. It's like Jesus saying, do you have ears to hear? Are you you paying attention? Do you want to know? listen and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fares. It does exist. It does exist. But we've focused on what's called the streetlight effect. You've heard, you've heard of this. It's an old, very old joke, right? It's, it's some say it comes from the 20s, maybe 30s. There's a policeman on the street at night. He sees a drunk man searching on his hands and knees under a streetlight and he asks him what he's lost. He says he lost his keys, can't find his keys. So they both look together under the streetlight for a long time. They can't find it. And after a few minutes, the policeman asks him are, if, if he's sure he lost him here. And the drunk guy says, oh, no, I didn't lose him here. I lost him a couple blocks away. Well, he says, well, why are you looking here? And the guy says, well, because the light is better here. <laughs> is, that, is that new to you? Is that real? Okay. Well, in, in psychological circles, they call that the streetlight effect, that the search for human beings is it's an observational bias where people only look for whatever they're searching for by looking where it's easiest. They also call it the drunkard's search. So Jesus then says, you've got to search, but let me tell you, you can, there's a place, and some people find it. And that's why he says what he does in verses 44 and, uh, and 45. He says, it, it's a treasure hidden in the field. And he says, and when a man found it, when he saw that it exists and he sees that it's real. In the next verse, it says, a merchant's looking for fine pearls. And when he had found one of great value, they found it. Where did they find it? Where can this thing be found? If that's a universal search for everybody in the room here, everybody in our world, where is it found? And Jesus Christ comes to say, it is found when the kingdom of heaven is embraced in your soul. This is Palm Sunday. And we know we're not waving them today and we're not doing a bunch of the, you know, we're not gonna pass them out to you today. But on Palm Sunday, a week before Easter, it commemorates the day where Jesus was presented into Jerusalem, rode in in a processional sitting on a foal, donkey, And the people welcomed him, and they they shouted out, Hosanna, save us now. And they're saying, calling him their, you know what they're calling him? Their king. Now, they are picturing a king who's a political or military or both leader, who's going to come in and vanquish the powers that are oppressing the people, going to overthrow Rome, and is going to set up a political kingdom where the nation of Israel gets its rightful place. And Jesus came to say, wrong kingdom. I'm not here for a kingdom of earth. I'm not here. I will, he said. He will establish a rule and reign on earth when he comes in in all his glory. But when he came at that moment, he said, I'm here to bring the kingdom of heaven to your soul, to your heart. I'm here to reign over your life and your will. I'm here to give you life from the inside out. And you know what the people said? Yeah, no, we don't want that kind of king. No thanks. You're a fraud what got him killed but he came to offer that kingdom He says do you have ears to hear this your soul has a rightful king and that rightful king has a rightful way it's his way that works it's you want the highest level the optimal level of how life works on earth you put the rightful king on the rightful throne in the place of control in your heart and that is the kingdom of heaven to you, in you. When somebody finds that, when they find and they full establishment of Christ in his rightful place, when they do that, God says, as a result, that human being, even in a fallen world, in a fallen body, they will, they will have at their, they'll have access to the highest possible levels of hope that a human being can experience. Because that hope is secured by one who can deliver on it. They will have the highest level of potential strength a human being can experience. That strength is found in the King of all and the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. They will have the highest level of value and affection a human being can feel because they will be loved forever, eternally by the God who is love. They will have the highest level of confidence and security that their life is held and has purpose in their life because the God who controls life itself is directing that life, scripting it out for them. They will have the highest level or potential for it of wisdom that humans can possess because the God who gives the wisdom is living within them and will develop that wisdom within them. They will have the highest level of healing for their souls over the aches and griefs of their life. They'll have the highest possible level of restoration and wholeness that they can have. They will have the highest level because all of that is embodied and found in the person of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. When Jesus had people just leaving him by scads, they were walking away because he was saying things they didn't like to hear. And he turns to his disciples in John 6 and he says, Jesus turns to the 12 and asks, are you going to leave too? And Simon Peter, who is about to say some really dumb things, and we'll remember them this week, and just really bail out. But he gets this one right. And Simon Peter says, well, where would we go? What, can I put it this way? What other field would we dig in? What other pearl could we possibly find? Lord, who, who, to whom would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We have the greatest possession we could possibly have. This is not just religious speak. This is not just somebody getting up because you're in church. If you want a marriage that is the best possible marriage you can have the way you get that is you put the king of marriage at the center of the marriage you put him and his ways how you treat your spouse where your values are what you spend your time and energies on you don't have to go to all the books and seminars you put him at the center of your marriage and you have the capability of having the best marriage possible you go you you want you want to have a secure sense of of purpose in your life. You want to feel fulfilled in in your job. You want the highest level you can have in a fallen world. You take Jesus Christ and make him the center of your career, the center of your your ethics in business. You put him at the center of that and you will experience, you have the potential to have the highest level. There is not a higher level you can have than when Jesus Christ is at the center of that part of your life. You want a lasting joy, I mean, who doesn't, right? Do you, want, do you want to just be able to rest? Do you want to just have peace? It's, there's an availability to it. Yes, it's a fallen world. Yes, it's going to be, there's going to be hardship in it. But if you want the highest level that is possible to man, you can climb all the mountains of Tibet you want. You can keep looking for all the new philosophies that are out there. You will not find a field to dig in that will provide, one that is higher, one that is greater, one that is more secure and give you a greater sense of peace that when you truly have the kingdom of God, you have the the true king in his rightful way, and he is at the center of your will and decisions, you do that and you you have the highest level you can experience in a fallen world. You want all those things, they are found in Christ. This is what 2 Peter says. His divine power has given us, look at this phrase, everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. When he's positioned there, when he's trusted and when he's followed and when he's surrendered to, when he's installed as the king, when he is brought close to your daily life where you're living. You don't just bring him when you invite him in the room when we're all here together. You invite him into your life. You invite him into the car on your way home. You invite them to the restaurant where you go after this. You invite them to, to your family room when you're making decisions about entertainment. You take them to the workplace. You do that. And when you find it, there is nothing higher. And this is what it means when it says these two, these two uh, stories. Both of them do the same thing. They sell everything else. You see that? Verse 44. The man... Went and sold everything he had so he could afford the field. He probably had some stuff he liked, right? Probably had some stuff that he had hoped would give him some joy. He get, he's, nothing is worth holding on to if it costs him having that which is the ultimate prize. But when the pearl is found, the same, th- the same thing has ha- happens. It says, he, when he found the one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and bought it. So when you find it, you make it your full pursuit. This is why being a follower of Jesus Christ is more than just acknowledging that he exists. It's more than just visiting him on Easter. It's more than just coming and singing nice songs to him. It's installing him at the center of a life because in him is found this thing for all of life called wisdom, ultimate wisdom. The Proverbs use some of the same terminology when it says, my son, if you accept my words, store my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Now, if you will do that, and if you will call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. See, you're making this point. You want to have the the best view on how to live a regular, superior human life. You want that? It says, if you call out for insight, cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and you will find the knowledge of God. This is is the call of Jesus. You have ears to hear from the story? This is what he's saying to us in this. When you find what's available to you to live the life you could live, the intended life that God created you for, make it your full pursuit and stop chasing other pursuits. Stop digging in other fields. When you find it, celebrate it, laud it, enjoy it and cling to it, cling to him. Make it your full focus, make it your commitment that says, I'm going to live this life under the authority of its rightful king because by faith, I'm gonna say that this is the ultimate life that's available to me. Sell what you've been holding. Sell what you've been looking for. Can I just ask you, what is it you're most prone to just not sell? What is it that you're holding on to that you would say, I'm kind of still hoping that this is going to provide something for me? What would it look like for you to sell? That doesn't mean you don't go to work. It doesn't mean you don't have relationships. It means you don't put your stock in them to provide what you only will find in a restored connection with God at the center of our life. So you sell what, what else gets in the way and you buy the treasure the way you buy the treasure, if you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it starts with that. You start by, and remember what he said in Isaiah? Come and taste what's free. You buy what's free. You come, and it's given to you. It starts by having him restore your soul and connection with God. But it doesn't end there, it continues. You, you buy it by consistently, regularly, reinstalling him as the king. The invitation us today, the invitation we have, I have for you this morning, the invitation of most of the stories Jesus tells comes down to that decision, even if you've already understood who Jesus is, is today to say it's time to reinstall the king to his rightful place, to sell off what's been crowding the way and to say I'm going to trust you, I'm going to live your way, I will follow you alone even in ways I don't like or don't understand or that still leave me aching and hurting, I will trust that the best possible life I can experience is found by having Jesus Christ at the center of everything I think and do, calling the shots. That's the invitation. Pray with me about that, would you?